Hello everybody and welcome to episode 49 of the Switch Focus podcast. I am not your host Andy Corrigan. I am Ginny Wu, one of the co-hosts and joining me today is Andrew Brown. So Andy is still kind of tied up but he will be back with us very very shortly. But for now it will be the Andrew and the Ginny show. Today we will be talking about, as per usual, some Switch news. We've got some recent stuff, um, some of the developments around Telltale Games and The Walking Dead's final season, and we're also going to revisit some of the games that people have played recently, and by people I mean mostly Andrew in the past couple of weeks or so. So, alright, let's kick it off! So yeah, welcome back, and let's pop into our latest Switch news segment. I suppose the biggest news topic on the agenda is Telltale Games and basically everything that's happened with the recent layoff of the staff at the studio, which has meant a lot of uncertainty about the future of The Walking Dead The Final Season, um, which is a game that's pretty near and dear to all of our hearts here at Switch Focus. So originally the development was, I believe, that pretty much all the team had been laid off that were working on that particular game and as well sort of throughout the studio. And there was a bit of uncertainty about whether or not the game would actually be finished. I think Clem's voice actor said that she thought that whatever they had recorded up to was going to be the end of it. You know, that was the last straw. They weren't going to do anything else. And there wouldn't be a conclusion to her story. As of today, um, well, as of the recording date, there's now been a new release of information which says that Skybound Games is going to finish the season. I think those are the people affiliated with the actual Walking Dead comics who have kind of stepped in and said, okay, we're going to actually finish this and we may use some other development team, as in the people who might have been laid off. That's just like a maybe on their part. It's like a may. We've not seen any sort of like firm contractual commitment, but that story is kind of out there and evolving currently. So I suppose just in terms of what Telltale Games has brought to the Switch, or what we were hoping they'd bring to the Switch, I know for me personally it was The Wolf Among Us and and Borderlands, and hopefully that would mean a segue into Andrew's true goal, which is Borderlands 2 on Switch. That's probably not going to happen now. I mean, did you have any other thoughts, I suppose, about about Telltale Games and, and what's happening now, the situation with The Walking Dead and how it might actually be, be finished? I know some people were saying, oh, you know, let's just, you know, let the, let just, you know, let the horses die, let it die. Like, I know some people have been very anti actually purchasing or supporting whatever final product comes out of the studio or what's left of it in terms of The Walking Dead, but... I mean, we were all quite looking forward to actually playing the rest of it. Uh, so, how, I mean, how do you personally feel about it, Andrew? Well, I've already paid for The Walking Dead, the final season. So naturally, <laughs> yeah. I am pleased that I'm <laughs> going to get a complete product out of it. Yeah. But that's not to say that I'm not sympathetic to the developers who were laid off in a, a very thoughtless and frankly cruel way. The yeah. mismanagement of that company is, is a horror story. Not just for our industry, but just for the way that companies are run in general, and just the world that we find ourselves living in. But anyway, uh, I'm I'm not on board with all the people saying that we should just boycott the game entirely. Like episode two has since been released, and I haven't even played it yet. But that was because I wanted to see mm-hmm. if the complete series would come out, or if episode mm-hmm. two was going to be it. But like I've I've seen people say like uh, oh anybody who works on the game now is a scab that's not what a scab is settle down a scab is somebody who works 
when the rest of the employees are on strike. These people, have not on, they're not on strike. They've been laid off in a, a terrible way. If this thing can get finished in whatever way it can get finished, however unfair it might be to the people who have been laid off, the people who are working on it, they're not scabs. They're just developers also looking for a job, and we should support them as well. And a, v- yeah. a very, frankly, unfair system with everything we've heard about it. Like, uh, we're into October now, but when all this was ba- happening back in September, between the shutdowns at Telltale and other companies, there were over 400 jobs that had basically been lost in the industry, which is a lot for a, a highly skilled industry like like game development. That's a lot. I'm just I'm I'm all for it being finished if it can be done in a way that's equitable and fair to the mm. laid off developers. But even if those people can't be brought on because there are a lot of complications to this, like how how are they going to be brought on? Are they going to become employees of Skybound Games? Are they going to be contractors? Uh, there's still a lot of questions up in the air of how that's going to happen. I really wouldn't expect to see this any progress on it until probably into the next year. It's very complicated. There's a lot of very strong feelings going on about it. At the end of the day, I'm just happy to see the final season probably being finished because it looked for quite some time there during our our brief hiatus due to so much going on in the lives of Andy and Ginny. It it looked like we weren't going to see the end of the series at all. You know, it's not fair. Uh, None of this is fair to anybody involved. And if, if you don't want to pay for the game in solidarity with those laid-off developers, I completely understand that. But I've already paid for this product, and unless they're going to charge me for it again for the remaining two episodes, in which case I probably also will not be playing it, also in solidarity, but I've paid for it. So as far as I'm concerned, if they put out the rest of the episodes, I'm going to play them. Fair enough. I think that is uh, probably the uh, the coherent, sensible way to go about it, as someone who has pre-ordered basically... Uh, all of it to see you know, adding on to what to what you said. Obviously, there's going to be a huge legal nightmare to actually untangle who gets to work on what, and the issue with all the various licenses that have come along with a franchise like this, and how you know any if there were any contracting relationships, how those are going to work, and whether the employees are going to be contractors or they're going to be actually employees, and all that other legal mess that this sort of stuff brings that IP law brings and that I guess game dev brings in general so I wouldn't expect that we'd be seeing a completion to this saga anytime soon even if they announce everything's all hunky-dory and they've got people locked in for things or for projects you know let's say in a month or two months from now I really don't think we're going to be seeing the the completed final season for at least you know another year maybe even much longer than that just dealing with all this other stuff but I think I have to agree with Andrew that is sort of the coherent way and the sensible way to look at it I've seen some people sort of out there say that the people that were laid off by Telltale should go back and work on the game and it's like well no if you found a a new job somewhere else in an industry or in a company that won't treat you like that or if you don't want to work with properties that were part of a company that treat you like that that makes sense that's fine Um, I think as long as everyone is being sensible about what the industry is and what these jobs are and and that people aren't sort of personally expecting anything from the people that worked on the project then that's probably I guess the best most sensible outcome 
love to see it finish. Obviously, they did great work while they were doing that good work, even though their company practices may have been not great. It would be a shame to kind of see it all just go. Yeah, as as to what that as to what will happen in the future, we'll see. Maybe by the time the second season comes around, there'll be a new version of the Switch out there. Well, there has been speculation from Wall Street Journal that there's going to be a new Switch model out next year, so that could happen. True. Yeah, it, it could be the one which we've predicted, which is going to be handheld only. Well, that was sort of, I think, our prediction last time was that there'll be a new Switch that was, you know, Joy-Con, detachable Joy-Con-less. Who knows? We'll see what we end up playing The Walking Dead the final season on um, when we revisit it in the future. On top of that, we've also got some smaller updates. There was a Nintendo Switch online firmware update, which Andrew has a hot take about, which which I'm interested to hear because I'm actually also in the dark as to what that hot take is. Oh, just with everything else that's happened, just this just seems like such small potatoes now. But just just <laughs> all the people who are complaining about the Nintendo Switch online, just what it was offering or oh, or yeah, just yeah, yeah. wasn't offering they all just sounded very entitled to me i was like you know it's a service it's a 20 dollar service it's like almost a third of what xbox and playstation charge for their online services and yeah. you get the nintendo the nes games thrown in there don't like it don't buy it that, that's all i have to say <laughs> yeah. that's all i have to say yeah Fair enough. Also, a very sensible way to look at this issue when it was first launched. I kind of feel like there were two camps um, online about it. People were like, oh, cool. It's out. That's all right. And the other camp was just like needlessly outraged by the fact that it existed, which was very puzzling to me. It's not like we didn't know that this was coming and it was supposed to launch in September last year. So we got a, a year of free internet play out of this deal. Yeah. So just get over yourselves. Yeah, and um, I guess in like a related issue or a related tangent to that, people were not only complaining about, I suppose, a variety of the services offered on Nintendo Online, but also um, with the NES games that were offered. So um, the more enterprising sort, it looks like they've actually managed to hack the Nintendo Switch system to give them access to more NES titles than the 20 that are currently provided to subscribers. So this is a homebrew job on the part of people who are doing this. But um, there have been people that have been able to add pretty much any chosen ROM to their library, any NES ROM, um, once they actually hack their system with an emulator. I know that people were sort of mad about there only being 20 titles, but then again, we've also heard some things around how this is really going to be like NES flicks. So the titles available could rotate in time or change in time or get added to. It's just 20 that we actually have right now. But um, obviously, some people hate waiting. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I can see if you're a hardcore NES fan, I can see. I don't blame you, but obviously, the, if you do want more NES titles, the only way you can get them now as part of NES Flex would be to actually hack your Switch, which we obviously cannot recommend. And Nintendo has, we've reported on Nintendo's really, really strict anti-interference measures in the past uh, about how they sort of, like, detect that a copy of a game is counterfeit or not and what they do to accounts that play these games and modify their consoles in pretty much any way so if you're curious about this obviously keep that in mind and yeah i mean i personally wouldn't want to 
hack my switch and risk losing all my my data and whatnot if rather than wait a couple of new months for some nes games to come to nes flicks so and i've played uh the legend of zelda and super mario brothers 3 to completion on mm-hmm. nes online now and they function exactly as i remember them playing on the original nes complete with slowdown and flickering <laughs> So it's a very uh, it's a very authentic experience, except for it's got those frames that they put up around it instead of black boxes yeah. for the full screen. That's kind of mm. disappointing. <laughs> but they're adding more games to it. There's three more coming on October 10th, which is just a few days away now. Yeah. And there's going to be exactly. three more they've already announced coming in November, and they haven't said they're removing anything. Although I think everything that's on there right now is for the most part, first-party titles. So really, if it's going to be up there, it's going to be entirely up to them. So it'll be more interesting as time goes on. And we see more Capcom and Konami titles on there and the many, many other publishers that were on the NES and wherever those rights have ended up 30 years later. Mm. But I'm perfectly happy with that part of the service. All right. Well, that's our new segment. And so now we're going to have a very brief segue into the games that we have played this week slash these past few weeks. Moving on to the games that we have played this week. Like I said very briefly earlier, this is going to be the the Andrew show. Um, He's played the majority of the titles we're going to talk about this week. First, we are going to crack into one that both Andrew and myself have played. I've briefly talked about this a couple episodes ago when it was sort of hot slash fresh when it had just come out um but andrew has since picked it up as well and i am keen to hear his thoughts because i was very positive on it but also i'm very positive on a lot of anime things so that should not have surprised any of you guys listening in but the game i'm talking about in case you haven't already guessed um is valkyria chronicles 4 which is a strategy rpg game um set in fake europe during fake world war ii with uh, fake Germans and um, and other fake military powers based on our real history, all with a huge helping of anime nonsense on the top. So, Andrew, talk me through your experience with this game. What have you been feeling? What are your thoughts? Let's let's kind of hash that out a little bit. Well, I'm not very deep into it. I'm only on like chapter five or something chapter four i'm not all that far into okay it, but all right this is a yeah, very yeah. slow paced game there are a lot of cutscenes, <laughs> which i'm not complaining about yep. i'm just describing how it is and everything is like laid out in this journal that your character carries around and that's how you select most of the missions and cutscenes. but sometimes the cutscenes will just play one right after the other and then sometimes you have to select the next cutscene from the book, even though you can go back and there's two or three cutscenes before it that you've already watched that played all in sequence. Mm-hmm. It's very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> As to the content of the game, I don't mind it all that much so far. It has some of the stuff that you kind of expect from anime tropes, like the improbably youthful cast, but I think <laughs> that actually works in its favor because it is a game set in pseudo world war ii it's not really world war ii but it's based on that conflict it's set in the same area with the same uh level of technology so it's basically world war ii and in world war ii a lot of pretty young people got drawn into that some of them many of them lied about their age to serve 
for various reasons. So, like, when I was going through the journal describing all the characters and I was seeing some of them were as young as 16, I was like, yeah, that's anime. But then I thought about it. I was like, wait, no, <laughs> actually, I know for a fact that 16-year-olds served in World War II by lying about their age. So, you know, that actually, yeah. it kind of works. And it also draws in, uh, it, it has a completely integrated army which i think is great i'm all for more mm. being able to listen to a, a world war ii story where there are actually women soldiers in it i think that's a pretty cool angle actually mm. and like i said i haven't gotten all that far into it and like i can definitely recognize some of the high school tropes and like who these characters <laughs> are supposed to be yeah. but yeah they have personalities and they have identities so even though i can tell that like kai is the class president who's really good at everything and everybody respects her and looks up to her. She still yeah. has that uniqueness to her that makes me appreciate her. She's actually my favorite character right now. But again, I'm not all that far Aww. into it. And there's something happened with her brother that I'm just really looking forward to finding out what happened there. <laughs> yeah. Some stuff went down, I can tell. Yeah. Uh, my Really, my only complaint with the game so far is just how slow it is. Like, you can play it for an hour mm -hmm. and you'll get through one battle. And that's the one battle with however long it takes you to finish that then you have to sit through all the cutscenes before and after it yeah and there's all the unit management which is extremely ponderous mm -hmm. this is a really good game to have on switch because being able to take it with you somewhere uh really helps to cut into all of that uh i think i would be very yeah. overwhelmed if i was trying to play this on playstation 4 so i'm very happy to have it on switch i might turn on this you know in the next however long it takes me to beat i've been hearing people say it's about a 50 hour game and i've played it for less than 10 mm. so there's still a lot of game left for me but i i'm pretty feeling pretty positive towards what i've played so far awesome well that basically uh, was how i felt about it um when i when i sort of briefly brought it up a couple episodes ago so at that time i hadn't really quite finished the game yet having finished the game since then Oh boy, um, <laughs> is the is the brother thing a thing? It is a thing. Um, there's there's a lot going on, and I I mean, as someone who had played the original Valkyrie, I say original, I mean the first and a couple of others after, including the very ill-fated action RPG style one, which was let's just not talk about it. Um, <laughs> let's just ignore that one. We'll leave that one in the basement. It's a blip on the radar of the rest of the franchise, so we won't mention it. But that was sort of the game that was most fresh in most people's memory when you mentioned the Chronicles, Valkyrie Chronicles series is the action RPG one. So this, for me, as someone who played the first game, is a complete return to that series. Ridiculously long cutscenes and all, improbably youthful protagonists and all, and... Um, you know, pseudo Magitech stuff and all. It's all it's all there. That's sort of what I think set this set the tone for me really was that it felt really nice. Like just coming home to a game that I recognized, which is unlike the game that had just been released last year for this franchise. In terms of a strategy RPG game, like I said before, I really, really enjoy what they do here. I know the military shtick can get really tiresome. Is it it is a lot to manage, you know, training your troops upgrading individual weapons like crafting them and then actually amending their stats in the other menus putting decals on your tanks amending your tank stats amending other stuff like a talent tree for your tank or a talent tree for the weapon and it's like all these small things which can which you can sort of get really easily caught up in if you're not careful i don't feel like they're like a thousand percent essential but if you don't fully 
participate in those systems and you're not really, I suppose, getting the most out of the combat. And I did have a complaint whereby I felt like it was a little bit too easy to cheese. If you've played the games before, then you'll have a very familiar understanding of what's powerful or what class is powerful in VC4 and you will be free to exploit that to your heart's content if you're smart about it. This is most people's first look at the VC Chronicle series, sorry, at the VC series, which it is, and also people that actually haven't played any of the others before because they were so obscure or niche or just, you know, were not popular back then in the West, then this is a great first introduction, I think better than the original VC would have been to all this stuff. So I'm glad that you like it. I was really, really concerned about the anime finish, like, you know, the anime kind of paint on the game. I was like, oh, I don't know. This could be a hard sell. (laughs) Well, I'm not opposed to anime. It's just most most of the anime that gets exported to where I live is the stuff that's aimed at teenage boys. And I don't have a lot of patience for it. I, I didn't even like being a teenage boy, so... (laughs) I don't need to be reminded of the things I was expected to like back then. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. People are listening, you've got concerns about the anime-ness, you know, know, all kind of, I guess, think for a second about about Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and and how that's anime. VC4 is on the other end of the spectrum. It's not that. It's not um, Pyrrha's um, interesting-looking armor or um, any of that stuff so <laughs> so we're pulling it back from that in case anyone was concerned that's the sort of anime that we're looking at really is it's got those tropes that andrew mentioned like the sort of high school click type like it could take like this could be anime that, that took place in a military academy and that is what that is a premise of one of the yeah i read games. about that one that was like, <laughs> wow so they really yeah, wanted to um, use those high school tropes, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, so that's sort of I think what what people will will be can expect to see from Valkyrie Chronicles Four if they if they think about it, I guess from like a, an anime cliche slash anime material perspective. But otherwise, it's a very good SRPG. It is about fifty hours, and yes, there are a lot of cutscenes. So if you're someone that that hates that and just kind of kind of just wants to fight things tactically and just forget about cutscenes you're going to have a bit of a painful ride because some chapters are literally, like Andrew was saying, mostly cutscenes and, and one large fight. So, But the pacing does improve as the game goes on. So if you can stick it out, um, I think that it's well worth it at the end. That's Valkyrie Chronicles 4 from both of us. I'll be keen to hear how Andrew feels when he finishes it, slash if he finishes it, if the game doesn't sort of what's the word if he doesn't sour on the game before then but yeah no it'd be cool and i think andy said that he has picked it up so maybe we'll hear from him next week about what his thoughts are on that game too and now we're going to move on to a title called rogue trooper redux so i know nothing about this game so andrew you're gonna have to fill me in on this one (laughs) this is based on a character that appears in the british sci-fi comic anthology 2000 AD which most people probably know best for being where the Judge Dread stories also appear. This is actually another game based on World War II, but this one takes place on New Earth. Oh, that's NU hyphen Earth and you play as the GIs who are the genetic infantrymen who are this group of soldiers who are bright blue and super muscular and they've been genetically altered so that way they can fight in this alien environment on new earth where they go against these guys with really heavy german accents in their super suits 
and <laughs> they're doing really evil science stuff on their planet. So yeah, it, it uh-huh. aside from the fact that it's taking place on an <laughs> alien planet, it, it's got a lot of stuff that you would probably recognize from World War II pulp stories. Yeah, it's really not. A very good shooter it's a low budget shooter you can tell by playing it but it actually has some really good ideas in it because since you're playing as these super advanced genetic infantrymen soldiers they have this high-tech weaponry where you start off with a basic assault rifle but you also get mods for it so that way instead of switching between different guns as your high-tech gun actually transforms into different guns if you command it to so you can do that but it takes some time so if you do it in the middle of a fight, you're probably going to be caught with your pants down and die pretty quickly. But that's a pretty cool idea. And actually, the ideas get cooler because you also have a backpack that you carry around everywhere that is basically a mobile factory that you use scrap that you loot from enemies or you find in the level that you can use to make med packs for yourself or to craft mm-hmm. your ammo because you don't actually pick up items like you do in any other shooter you have to craft it all yourself using this backpack system yeah and oh, the last wow. thing is you have a magic helmet that can project holograms that you can use to distract enemies which i never really used this ability but i, I i'm sure if i tried to <laughs> i could have done some pretty cool things with it but i never really found it necessary so it, it's it's a really ambitious shooter but it plays about as well as you would expect it to considering i paid less than ten dollars for it i got it on a sale and like it 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 retails for like fifteen dollars i think so it it it, yeah it plays (laughs) about as well as you would expect a game (laughs) that wants to be a triple a shooter but isn't a triple a shooter would do yeah it's not the worst game i've ever played but and the ambition there i kind of admire it but just with how clunky it was to play and the environments were really boring to look at and the story was just this basic mm-hmm. boring revenge story it, it was all right i wasn't wild about mm-hmm. it but if you get it on a sale and you're interested in those shooter mechanics it's worth your time yeah i would like a judge dread that'd um, be cool six shooter actually <laughs> um, that would be or just a nice. decent judge dread game there actually was a judge dread game on sega genesis that was pretty awesome I don't think I was even conceived at the time. <laughs> well, uh, it it was a tie-in to the Sylvester Stallone movie, so... <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, hopefully we get a different one that I can actually experience this time, because I just read it's like one of my guilty pleasures, like, character-wise. Um, it's it's I d- It doesn't make any sense to me as to why I like Judge Dredd, but I just... <laughs> It's just one of those things, man. It would be a great game to have. Fast forwarding to um to the next title on the list, uh, Steam World Dig, which Andrew has played. I know that we've sort of briefly kind of chatted about this in previous episodes. I I think that was Andy who had played it back then. A- Andy played it on 3DS, I'm pretty sure. Okay, yeah. yeah. And I played it on Wii U in preparation for the sequel coming out. And we all liked the sequel. It all ranked pretty highly on us when we got to the end of the year last year. Mm. Uh, And the original has been out on Mm. Switch since for a while. I think it came out at the end of last year, too. Uh, But I waited for it to be on a sale since I already owned it on Wii U, and I picked it up. And it's still good. Uh, 
I'm going to use that word again. It doesn't have the ambition that SteamWorld Dig 2 had because SteamWorld Dig 2 was much more sprawling. It had a much wider world to explore. It had multiple shafts to dig down into, whereas SteamWorld Dig 1, you just start at the top of the town. You start at Tumbleton. You dig down into one shaft. When you get to the bottom of that shaft, that's the end of the game. And all the upgrades, you can just get all the upgrades. You don't have to pick and choose like you do in 2. Uh, so like you end up with the same character mm-hmm. every single time you play it, and every other character out there is exactly the same. It, it's it's like a prototype mm-hmm. for what SteamWorld Dig Two would become, but it it's still a lot of fun to dig down into the shafts because it has like a dig dug style gameplay where you have to dig down and you have to run into jewels along the way, and the jewels are how you get money. And once your bag is full, you take it back up to Tumbleton. Mm-hmm. And sell your stuff, get upgrades that'll let you dig deeper and dig down faster. And you just keep doing that until you get to the bottom of the shaft. And that's the whole game. Uh, it It's a really serviceable yeah. game. It's not all that much. It doesn't cost hardly anything. Uh, I think if you played the sequel and liked it, you might enjoy looking mm-hmm. at this. Or if you're just a SteamWorld fan, because there is that whole SteamWorld series. And hopefully we'll be seeing another SteamWorld Heist sequel. Not, not much here to compliment. Not much here to <laughs> gush about. But I enjoyed it. It, it was a it was a yeah. good expenditure of three or four hours, however long it took me to get through it. Yeah, I, I had a good time yeah. with it. Cool. Good port. Another good port to add to the Nintendo Switch. Good ports list, which is pretty much all of them at this point. I haven't had one that I've hated, which is good. It's good to see that some of these older games are getting some love now on the Switch. Well, now we're going to segue briefly into a game that I have played. Woo, trophy. And it is a game called Wonder Song. So this is, is, is pretty new. It came out a couple of weeks ago, so it's still pretty fresh. And in case the the name wasn't clear, you are a singer who wanders around places. <laughs> it is called Wonder Song for a reason. And you are basically everyone's favorite disaster bard. And by disaster bard, I mean you're like that character in D&D. And instead of doing like a standard array, you just rolled for your stats and they were all terrible rolls. Apart from charisma, the rest were just bad. You're looking at like having like a negative proficiency in terms of wielding weapons and physical things and all that stuff. All you can do is really sing. That is where you come in. You are the bard that can literally only sing. Moving your limbs to jump is about as as much as you can do physically. <laughs> the rest of it, you're not so great. And your job is to basically deal with the end of the world as you know it. So if someone's going to sing the world out of existence, and you need to stop them. And because you can't fight anyone, and you can't pick up a sword, and you are martially incompetent, all you really have is the power of friendship and the power of song. If it sounds a little bit cheesy, that's because the game is more than a little bit cheesy. It is marketed as a puzzle platformer, but it really sort of is more puzzling than platforming, and even then, they're not particularly difficult puzzles. But it is a very, very very aesthetically intriguing game. If you're unsure what I'm talking about, I would recommend checking out the trailer for the title, which I'm sure we can include in the in the show notes. But basically, you live in a very colourful, very, very blocky world, and your job is to use music, which the game will visually represent um, with different colours, in order to actually manipulate the environment around you. So you can scare ghosts away with certain sounds or certain tunes that you play by highlighting certain notes, I suppose, on your screen. You can make yourself jump higher with music. You can do pretty much anything with music. Your The limit is your imagination, really. And I guess whether or not you can actually platform um, proficiently. 
Yeah, it is a really cute sort of, I would say, a bite-sized game. I don't think I finished it, but I'm, I kind of feel the narrative is wrapping up very soon at the point that I'm at. I'm probably maybe about eight or nine-ish hours in, and I feel like I'm I'm kind of pretty clear about where it's going to go from here. So it wouldn't be a particularly long game to play. It is very lighthearted. It does have sort of some very central common messages like, friendship defeats everything and I can do it let's just persevere and try hard you know like it's like a very upbeat children's book which is fine and and I'm really sort of enjoying the aesthetic of the game it's a complete 180 from the other stuff that I've been playing which I can talk about in a couple weeks um, from now when it comes out but it has has been a really sort of nice palette cleanser I wouldn't say it's a, a complex story by any means or a complex game the puzzles are very easy and while there are rhythm segments, they are very few and far between, and also very forgiving. But it, it is nice if you want like a lighthearted game to take your mind off the stuff in the world that's happening, which is definitely not sunshine and or rainbows, this is probably a pretty good choice. I know Andy and Andrew were interested in it, or at least one of them was, when we discussed it months and months ago, when it was first announced in Indy's direct presentation. And yeah, no, I can definitely recommend it if you've got some time. I know it's not too pricey on the Switch either. If you like music, you like some sweet tunes, you like playing Darude Sandstorm to people and dancing ineffectively, then you should pick up this game. We're moving on to the next game on our list of games here. We've got a game called The End is Nigh, which Andrew also played. Now, this one sounds a little bit more fatalistic than Rogue Trooper <laughs> Redux, so give us the lowdown on, on The End is Nigh. The End is Nigh is another massacre platformer from Edmund McMillan, most famous for Super Meat Boy. And I really, I passed this up when it came out new because I looked at it and I was like, that's Super Meat Boy, but it's black and white. And that is an incredibly cynical appraisal of what it is, but... I'm really glad that I finally played it because I, I got it on a sale for less than $5, which I think is going to be something you hear me say a lot on this podcast from now on. Mm-hmm. Um, it finally went on sale and I played it, and this is a better game than Super Meat Boy, and Super Meat Boy is a very good platformer. It is monochromatic. It's not black and white, but every level you go through has basically two different colors. It's a very drab-looking game, but that's very much on purpose because the story of the game is you play as this blob person. It might be abstract, he or he might be some kind of mutant. I don't know, but his name is Ash, and he was surviving in literally the apocalypse by playing the same NES game over and over and over again actually live streaming it that was actually the start of the game (laughs) is he's live streaming his favorite game and it finally breaks so he sets out into the world to create a new friend you go through the basic platforming stuff that you expect but whereas super meat boy had a wall jump that you would do the end is nigh instead has a ledge dangle ability that you can do And if you're dangling from a ledge, you can actually throw yourself further than you would if you were just doing a basic long jump. So that is really where the big difference between the two games is. But other than that, they are two very difficult platformers with lots of collectibles to get along the way. Uh, There are over 600 screens in this to get through, and they don't hold back. I still got through this in like two nights, but that was just because I was enjoying it so much. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I'm I'm just really disappointed that I waited so long to play this because I think if I'd played it sooner, I could have been more of an advocate for it when it was new. Because I I don't think this game did all that well on the mm-hmm. Switch. It came out like in December and just kind of got buried. I think if you're into Super Meat Boy or if you're just into platformers or maybe Celeste, which is also a challenging platformer that has completely different mechanics from this. But if you were into the difficulty of Celeste, I think you would really enjoy this game. As I said, it's from the same developer as Super Meat Boy, but it is better than Super Meat Boy, if you ask me, as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, the end is nigh. Uh, Don't sleep on this one. Don't dismiss it because of how it looks the way I did. It's very good. Awesome. Well, Better Than Super Meat Boy is a ringing endorsement um, because for a long time that was kind of like, I guess, the standard in um, Twitch platforming like that. So that's a that's a pretty big endorsement, mate. I mean, yeah, I know lots of our listeners are platforming fans. We've talked about platformers like Celeste and Super Meat Boy in our community Discord for quite some time now. So... I know there are listeners out there who love that stuff. So yeah, don't bypass that recommendation. Sounds like a good one. Right, right. We are winding down to the end of our list. We've got two more titles to go. Let's knock out South Park The Stick of Truth first. This obviously will not be the first South Park game that's been talked about on the on the podcast by any means. But Andrew, I've got a note here that you've got some thoughts about it and also about maybe the PC version. Yeah, I played South Park The Stick of Truth when it was new on Steam, and yeah. I enjoyed it back then, but that was before lots of stuff had happened in the world, and especially a lot of stuff had happened in South Park. Yeah. This game is very much more representative of like the early seasons of South Park. There's a lot more toilet humor and a lot more shock humor, less of the mm-hmm. politics that dominated the fractured butthole. Yeah, there's very... <laughs> yeah. There's very little political humor in this. Well, that's not even true, but uh, the political humor in this is making fewer statements because of the age group that we try to keep this show appropriate for. I can't really describe what this game gets into, but uh, (laughs) it's just as adult and it's less politically divisive, but it's still made by the same people who made The Fractured But Whole. And as you know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, I begged listeners not to spend their money on that because the creators of South Park don't deserve our money and the jokes in the fractured butthole are not acceptable and same deal here I think this game is much cheaper and this game is much more conventional and safer as far as a South Park game goes but still don't spend your money on it Well, that was a quick and easy wrap-up. I'm not a South Park fan, so I'm never going to have to (laughs) struggle with that moral dilemma of buying the game or not, which I am glad for. I've got pretty trash taste in lots of things, but South Park is not one of them. And we're going to move on to the last title, Reigns, Kings and Queens. So I, for context, have played the mobile version when it first came out, which I know has actually had quite a few additions to it since its launch on Switch, which Andrew has played. Andrew, what are your thoughts in general, I guess? Reigns... People have described it as running a kingdom, but the Tinder simulator version. Um, <laughs> they're they're referring to how they've simplified the decision-making mechanic down to swiping left or right on certain things and making choices on certain, I guess, events that will a- affect you. And a lot of the game really is kind of about, I would I would say, and at least personally, um, interpersonal relationships between you and the various heads of state or various people that represent parts of your monarchy slash your government. 
So it's probably not inaccurate to say that. If you have seen any footage of the game, it is about swapping left and or right to decide the fate of your kingdom, and it's like a generational game. So your choices carry on and echo throughout the ages for your descendants slash successors. Andrew, how are you finding it? I played this the night it came out, mm-hmm. and I haven't played it since. <laughs> uh, Ringing endorsement. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's partly because of just the kind of game it is. There doesn't seem to be an ending to it. It gives you this yeah. long list of challenges that you're supposed to be accomplishing based on like whatever the latest batch of cards that you've added to the game is. So I suppose there is an ending to the game once you've unlocked all the card batches then you've reached the ending of the game as much as that is it didn't really draw me in all that much because like i started running into the same questions like almost immediately uh Mm -hmm. which might be a consequence of you know how early into it i am maybe Mm -hmm. if i unlock more cards and unlock more characters then i'll get a lot more choices to deal with yeah i don't know i i feel like i shouldn't have to work hard to have a wider variety of things to choose from they should just be there from the start so i'm kind of in contest there with my desire to unlock things versus my feeling like these are things i should not have to unlock (laughs) so i'm very conflicted there Uh, but how the game works is there's these four different categories of people there's the church there's the actual populace there's the merchant class and then there's the military and every decision that you make causes their meters to go up or down just for simplicity's sake let's say they're counting up to 100 and go down to zero if any one of those four reaches 100 or reaches zero that's a game over for that ruler and you have to they get deposed and they either die or they're exiled or whatever ends up happening to them and one of the things that the game keeps track of is trying to find every possible way your ruler can be deposed so that's pretty interesting if you like you know, meticulously cataloging things like that. <laughs> and after a while, I started recognizing the cards and knowing which consequences they were going to have. And that, that's if you haven't even drawn the card that lets you literally see in numerical values what's going to happen based on your decisions. I was kind of into it at the start when I was like, I, I'm going to be a benevolent ruler no matter how much it <laughs> screws me over. And like after yeah. like a half an hour, I realized you just can't do that. This is all about gaming numbers. So it, it mm-hmm. feels like a really cynical ruler thing where basically you're in a deal with the devil for starters. <laughs> and it, it doesn't have much nice to say about government, which I think is not really a message we need to be spreading right now. Mm-hmm. It just it didn't draw me in, which is why I haven't really come back to it. But there's a spinoff based on Game of Thrones, which I hope get gets released because I think this game's like message and its themes actually fits Game of Thrones much better than just a generic fantasy kingdom. Yeah. The last complaint I had on this was it's a game where you swipe left and right, right? So you would think that you would use the shoulder buttons to just select left or right, mm. but you don't mm. do that in this Switch version. You have to use the joystick to select left or right and then use the A button to confirm. You know, that makes sense, but this is a this is a minor complaint. It's a recommendation for an upcoming patch or whatever, but you should be able to use the shoulder buttons to select the cards. That just that just makes sense to me. So <laughs> Yeah. And, and no, that's fair enough. Naturally you can use the touch screen as well. Just as someone who, who played the original when it first came out, so this is Reigns, Kings and Queens, before it was just Reigns. Dudes only. <laughs> you didn't have the Queen option. 
And um, I, I played Reigns Her Majesty kind of separately from Reigns when that first came out as well. And I, I think because I played the version separately, I could appreciate, I suppose, a lot of the nuances that you had when you were playing the, the Queen's version. Mm-hmm. The cards that you get obviously are very different. Uh, people expect your um, in-the-background husband to really be doing all, all the governing. Mm. So a lot of your actual choices are, I think, a lot more nuanced or interesting. And also you have... The, the additional benefit of experiencing a lot of medieval sexism um, throughout the entire game. I only played the king's half. It sounds like I should play the queen's half. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's quite good. Obviously, there's a whole lot of stuff in there which you would consider period typical. Things like witches worrying about court fashion and stuff like that. I think it goes into a little bit more theme-wise. And I think the nature of reigns, obviously, you're well aware going into it that you're going to die again and 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 really it's kind of I guess creating a legacy and creating a particular history that you want to be remembered for I think that the, that in itself is is not a game that lends itself to sort of long-term playing sessions like I'm not going to be sitting down at my desk playing six hours of Reigns Her Majesty because mm. that would be six hours of swiping left or right and initially you know, basically RNG-wise, event-wise, it's you account a lot of the same cards. And like Andrew was saying, that there is a bit of a numbers game here statistically about what your choices are going to do. So if you're honed in on this one title um, and focus, really focused on it for a long period of time, it's those sort of cracks mechanically that start to, to show because you're obviously spending so much time in close proximity with the game's mechanisms that you see these kind of imperfections that make it less about creating a medieval story and more about balancing odds and numbers and the probability of X or Y outcome from what you're doing. But it is kind of like a cool game, I I think, to have on there. I have played mostly the mobile version of it myself, and I think it's a perfect mobile game. Good to pass the time on for a short session when you're on the bus or something, you know, or you're just like waiting for something else. You're in queue for something. It's a good, easy to pick up and put down kind of game. I, I'm pretty glad that we're seeing stuff like this on the Switch. We're kind of opening up past the, the platformers and the, the brawlers and the JRPGs. And we're getting stuff like this, which kind of, I think, straddles that line between what people traditionally conceive as a quote-unquote mobile game and sort of more emergent storytelling. And I 100% agree that the Game of Thrones one seems great. I've read all the books of that series, and I feel like them using characters that aren't the I suppose the canon rulers in Game of Thrones will make it more interesting. There's like a whole other game world there to, to build on. So I think that will solve some of, I think, my current issues with how story pans out in this game and, and what it tells you about government and, and decisions, which is basically that they don't really mean anything at all. Um, so I, I, think, I think Andrew's right. I think that it will have a little bit more direction with the Game of Thrones version comes out, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be on the Switch, so... I uh, wanted to pick that one up. I think if you're on the fence about this, um, just be really aware about what the game actually is going into it. It is not some kind of... not. It's not like a glorious narrative experience with 70 hours worth of story that you're creating. It, it is a little more simplified than that, but it's still a good, unusual pickup. It is a very niche game format. I think it's done really well. So if you're curious, I would definitely say, and, and it's affordable, then you should give it a go. I'd say get it on your phone. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I can recommend that. So get on the phone. I know this is a Switch podcast, but get on your phone. <laughs> that's where I enjoyed it the most. Ready? Go!
So now we move on to the last, most highly anticipated section of the show, the Nintendo Switch Super Smash Brothers prediction section. <laughs> and um, I'm sure you will all be very, very sad to know that this is the last time we're going to be doing this. So let's all pour one out for the Nintendo Switch Super Smash Brothers prediction section. We're going to miss you, right? No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, Andy might. Behind the scenes, we've all gotten kind of sick of this. So <laughs> yeah, I, it's just been a mish. This was yeah. my idea, and I owe both of you an apology. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was it was fine in the first ten episodes or so, but then they suddenly just thought, "Here, we'll give you all this existing information about the game," and then I thought, "Well, I don't know what I'm going to predict." So I've, you've you've had some of my more esoteric slash desperate predictions over the past couple episodes. Let's let's crack onto it. So Andy is not here, but I'm sure whatever he predicted would have been amazing regardless. Andrew's prediction is playable Gino. Yeah, it makes sense because uh, a lot of the characters they've revealed since E3 have been characters that have been previously available as me fighter costumes. Uh, Inklings were me fighter costumes. King Karul was a me fighter costume. Mm. Gino was also a me fighter costume. So I think it's very likely. Especially since Cloud made it back into the game, which I predicted he would not. I think it's very likely yeah. that there is a partnership going on between Nintendo and Square that could make Geno playable in Smash Brothers. Wow, that was a very logical, well-reasoned prediction. Have we already predicted a Nintendog stage? I don't think we did. No. Yes. Yes! <laughs> Vindication! <laughs> well, there we go. So that is my prediction. Okay. Um, my <laughs> my prediction is that there's going to be a Nintendog stage because why not? Honestly, at this point, we've got King K. Rool. We've got a million and one Final Fire Emblem characters that no one needs anymore. We've got Isabel in the game. Yay. So why not throw? <laughs> yeah, Isabel, love her. Really great. I'm why the mayor now. Why don't we now. just throw? Exactly. <laughs> Why don't we just throw Nintendogs into the fray as well? I doubt that we get a Nintendogs playable character because that would make that would be adorable, but make no sense. So maybe like a Nintendog stage yeah. where like the puppies like run across the screen and knock you up and stuff like that, or Jenny. you know, and I, what? There's already been a Nintendog stage. <laughs> kill me! Just kill me now. Okay, there. That's all right. It can be your prediction anyway. <laughs> That's my prediction anyway, guys. It's gonna be. It's gonna be in this one too. Okay, I had wiped it from my memory because I must have hated it so much the last time I saw it. But I'm gonna put it in this one again. And Isabel's a dog. I love dogs. Nintendo loves dogs, so it's it's very possible. <laughs> and yeah, with 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 that one, I, I will now set this section alight on our ritualistic bonfire and never speak of this section ever again. It was great while we had it. Thanks, everyone, for participating and for suggesting things to us on Twitter and on our Discord about this section, but it is now no more. So (laughs) that is it. That is all. on to what we're going to be playing this week and just got a couple of things on the horizon what have you got well there's many things coming out next week next week is a great week for indie games there's game dev story child of light and chasm which i think all three of those are 
ports of older games. Child of Light is not an indie mm. game. That's an Ubisoft game, but it it's very <laughs> much, it's very reminiscent of what indie games are doing today. And then there's the Swindle, which is brand new, I think. And that one looks really cool. Uh, you play as like these steampunk like cat burglars that break into people's houses at night and steal their stuff and it's all randomly generated and you gotta like sneak past mm-hmm. security systems and stuff it looks really cool but the game that i am getting next week is mark of the ninja remastered yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. this is uh this game being released on the switch is a, a huge deal like mm. there was rejoicing in the streets when this was announced in one of the nintendo directs so, yeah, of course, nice. that's the game I'm getting next week. But there are a lot of great games to look at coming on the 11th. So, Mark the Ninja was one um, that I said that I would be interested in picking up when the time came. But I am, again, ridiculously busy. But this week, I will be playing some titles that are coming out. Not to, I think they will be out by the next time that we record. But if not, maybe a little bit later. Actually, no, I can't talk about them, can I? Uh, yeah, don't. Don't break anything. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, wait, hang on, I can't talk about them. Anyway, I'm playing things I can't talk about yet, but by the by the time the next episode comes out, I'm sure I can talk about at least one of them. So we'll just have to wait to find out. It's like a lottery, but the results could be terrible. Let's see. And I'm sure Andy will have a whole host of things to update us on when he gets back next week, so there won't be any shortage of content from, from that side. So busy week for us all, I think. And yeah, if I have time, maybe I'll check out Torna. It's just a matter of getting back to Xenoblade Chronicles 2 that is just so tough and time-consuming. So that will be a maybe. Otherwise, thanks everyone for tuning in this week. And that's pretty much a wrap. Thanks for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, um, our beautiful two-man show here, please leave us a review on iTunes because it will really help to get us noticed and make Andy happy when he comes back. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other major podcast services. And you can also join our Discord server, which we've named up a couple of times already, to interact with the lively Switch Focus community and obviously with us. And you can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. We're going to leave you links in the show notes, plus um, that link to the Wonder Song trailer, which I mentioned earlier, because it's just adorable and hilarious. And if you want to support the show, you like what we're doing, you can now buy us a coffee, and we'll put the details for that on our website. Basically, whatever we get as part of this, we put towards the show, so whether that's getting new licenses for editing or making sure that we're giving you the best product possible, or everything that you give to us kind of goes back to you in the end. So if you want to support us, you can do it that way. And otherwise, you can also follow us individually. Andy is at Flame Roast Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically, and he also streams at twitch.tv slash playcritically. He's been doing some first hour videos recently. So you can always tune in to catch him doing that if you're lucky. And I'm Ginny at Ginny Wars, and we will see you next week for episode 50, The Big 50. Mm-hmm.